0: We will be looking at Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put forth my I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Thanks be to God. This morning I want to tell you about Andy. Andy was my my best friend growing up. He was one of those all-star best friends. He was the very best kind... Of best friends, uh, whenever I had a minute and i didn 't know what to do whenever I was bored and, and looking for someone to be with, I would call Andy. I still have his phone number memorized i don 't know what my own phone number was when I was a teenager, but i still I still know andy 's phone number and, and we would we would play these never ending games of monopoly that just went on and on for hours. We would shoot pool in his parents basement we would eat icy pops out of his parents freezer. Andy always saved me the the Blue Raspberry Icy Pops because he knew they were my favorite. That's the kind of best friend that Andy was. When uh, When we graduated from high school, not too long after we graduated from high school, one day Andy asked me a question. I don't remember what the circumstances were, but I remember what, what Andy said. He said to me, you're, you're a religious person. You're somebody who, who takes faith seriously and knows a lot about the Bible. He said, can you tell me what does the Bible have to say about homosexuality? Well, here's the thing you need to understand about me at 18 years old. At 18 years old, my my faith was already the most important thing in my life. I was already a Bible nerd. I loved to read the Bible. I loved to study about the Bible. At 18 years old, I was pretty sure I had the Bible figured out. I was pretty sure I had God all figured out. I was pretty sure I had everything all figured out. And I had just been waiting for somebody to ask to explain it to them. And. And so when Andy asked me that question, I got really excited. Finally, I had a chance to show off all of that Bible knowledge that I had accumulated through all of that study. And so I said to Andy, I said, I know exactly what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. And then I proceeded to rattle off for him the the six verses that people have historically understood to be talking about same-sex relationships. I said, well, here's what Leviticus has to say, and here's what Romans has to say, and here's what we find in 1 Corinthians. I walked him through all six of those those verses, and then Andy, he listened very patiently, and when I was done, he said, okay. He said, thank you. He said, I knew you were the person to ask. I knew you would have an answer. And I felt pretty good about myself. I felt like I had, had represented God well that day. And not long after that, Andy and I started to to drift apart. We went off to to different colleges. We didn't talk very much for the next few years. And and I lost touch with Andy. And it wasn't until a few years later that I was talking to a a mutual friend. I happened to think about Andy. And I asked her, I asked this mutual friend, I said, do you know what's happening with Andy? I haven't heard from him in in ages. Do you know how he's doing and, and what he's up to And this friend? She said, oh, yeah, she said, Andy's doing great. She said, he's moved to Colorado. He's got a new boyfriend. He loves his job. And I said, wait, what now? Andy has a what? Andy has a boyfriend. And she rolled her eyes and she said, oh yeah, Andy's gay. Andy's always been gay. And you were the only one who didn't know. (laughs) And that's how I found out my best friend was gay. And that's how I found out that I was the only one who didn't know because of my faith because of the way I expressed my faith, because of the way I presented my faith, that's, that's the day I found out just how easy it is for us to wound each other when we are careless about what we believe and how we express it. But when I found out uh, what Andy hadn't told me, I called him up and, and uh, reached out to him. I apologized for, for how I had handled that situation, how careless I had been with our friendship. And, and Andy gave me way more grace and forgiveness than I, I deserved. And we mended things, we reconciled, and now we, we're still in touch. In fact, I talked to Andy a little bit just, just last week. And, and since I was 18 years old, in the years since then, I, I've changed a bit. I'm I'm not so sure anymore that I have everything figured out. I'm not so sure I have the Bible figured out. I'm not so sure that those six verses mean what I thought they did when I was 18 years old. And there are other passages in Scripture that now I think of as, as even more important to our conversations around inclusion and sexuality. And, and, and that's not what this sermon is about this morning. If you want to have that conversation, if you want to talk about those six verses, and if you want to do some Bible study and talk about the other passages that I believe are, are even more important to conversations around inclusion and sexuality, then I would love to have that conversation conversation with you just name a time and name a place and i will bring the bibles and i will buy the coffee i would love i would love to have that conversation with you but we're not going to have that conversation this morning because that's not what this sermon is about this sermon is about pain This sermon is about the pain that we cause each other when we are careless about what we believe and when we are careless about how we express it. This morning's sermon is about the pain that my church, the United Methodist Church, caused a whole lot of people in this last week. Last weekend, the the general conference of the United Methodist Church gathered in St. Louis, Missouri. 864 leaders of the church from all around the world got together to to talk about and to vote upon issues relating to, to sexuality and LGBTQ inclusion in the church. Last weekend, my church, the United Methodist Church, had an opportunity to do the thing that Methodists have done so often and so well. We had an opportunity to show grace to one another. We had an opportunity to make room for each other at the table. We had an opportunity to, to say we are going to continue to be a church where people are free to disagree. We can agree to disagree, and we can still be the church together. We had a chance to start to bring some healing to the hurt we've done to LGBTQ persons for the last 47 years of the United Methodist Church, but that's not what we did. Instead, we voted for more prohibitions, prohibitions, and stricter penalties, and in doing that, we hurt an awful lot of people. As I was watching the conference last week, I kept thinking about this study I saw that was released just a little less than a year ago. In April of last year, there was this, this big nationwide study of young adults that, that, uh, that was released. And this study, it looked at all of the various suicide factors for young adult Americans age 18 to, to 30. It looked at all of the many things that can put a young person at increased risk for, for self-harm and for suicide and one of the major takeaways of this study was that if, if there's a young person in your life who you care for, if there's a young adult in your life who you love, then one of the best things you can do is invite that person to church. This study found that for people who have all sorts of risk factors for suicide attempts and suicidal thoughts, one of the best and safest places for them to be is in the church. This study found that the more religious these young people said they were, the less at risk they were for harming themselves for attempting suicide. This study found that that faith communities, places where people can lean on each other, places where we find spiritual tools to get through difficult moments can protect our young people in, in their difficult moments. This study also, however, found Found that for one group of young people, that effect not only didn't apply, but in fact, exactly the opposite was true. This study also found that for LGBTQ young adults in America, the church is the most dangerous and most unhealthy place for them to be. The study found that for LGBTQ young adults, the more religious they were, the the more connected to their church they were, the more they said their faith was an important part of their self-identity, the more likely they were to have thoughts of suicide, the more likely they were to attempt suicide. This this study pointed out, this study told us that, that it can be dangerous, it can be deadly to be part of a faith community that doesn't affirm your sexuality or your gender identity. When I read that study, when I saw the results of that study, I was sad, and I was broken-hearted. But I can't say that I was surprised. Because in my, my years as a pastor, I have met so many of the young people who were described in that study. I've met so many people who have survived those attempts, and they have done me the honor of sharing their story with me. They have done me the honor of telling me about their experiences of being rejected by their families, rejected by the church. And it was their faces I was thinking of last week as I was watching this conference. I was thinking about their names. I was thinking about that study. I was thinking about my best friend, Andy. And all week long, I've been thinking about what I was going to say this morning. What could I possibly say this morning? After lots of thinking, after lots of soul searching, I've decided that there are three things I want to say this morning, three things I want you to hear. The first thing I want to say is I am sorry. As a pastor, as a United Methodist pastor... As a leader in the United Methodist Church, as someone who has been given authority to represent the United Methodist Church in this place, I want to say to you, I am sorry. I'm sorry for all of the times that the church hurt you in the name of Jesus. I'm sorry for all of the times people made you feel unwelcome and small because of your sexuality or your gender identity. I'm sorry for all of the times people got together to to talk about you without you. I'm sorry for all of the times a church said to you, we want you to sing in the choir and we hope that you'll tithe, but please don't ask to have your wedding here. I'm sorry. That's the first thing I want to say today. That's the first thing I hope you hear. The second thing I want to say today is thank you. In every church I've ever served, there have been LGBTQ members who lead worship, who serve the church, who build up the community. Even when the United Methodist Church has made it difficult and painful for you to be here, you have stuck with us. And and I can describe that as nothing short of a miracle of God. The only way I can explain that is that that you among us are the living embodiment of the graciousness and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And I want to say thank you for all of the ways in which you have built up the church through your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness we would not be who we are without you thank you thank you for all the things you have given to a church that's made it so very hard and the last thing i want to say today the third thing i want to say this morning can be found in this morning's scripture reading and this morning's reading we have a passage from the book of the prophet isaiah you know the prophet isaiah wrote these words that we just heard in a moment when god's people the israelites were were reeling and in shock and pain Their church, their temple, the the place where they made their spiritual home, had been destroyed. It had been reduced to rubble. It was a smoking pile of ruins. And the Israelites felt like they had become untethered and lost in that moment. They lost the place where they connected to God. They would never connect to God there again in the same way. They were angry, they were hurt, they were confused. And they were crying out to God, how will we ever, how will we ever worship you again? And in that moment of shock and hurt and pain, God spoke to the prophet Isaiah. And God said, Isaiah, there's a message I want you to give my people. Tell them that I'm going to send somebody. Tell them I'm going to send someone who will heal their wounds. Tell them, I'm going to send someone who will rebuild my temple, not with bricks, but with living stones. I'm going to send someone who will rebuild my temple with human hearts and human souls. I'm going to send them someone who will connect them to me in a way that they have never been connected to me before. And so Isaiah passed on that message. And the people, the people of God said, Isaiah, ask God a question for us. How will we know this person when he comes? How will we recognize him? How will we spot him? And so God gave Isaiah this message. God said, Isaiah, tell my people that when my servant comes, this is how they will know him. He will be a man of gentleness and peace. A bruised reed he will not break. and a dimly burning flame he will not quench. When I think of those words, when I read those words, I always think of a church that I used to serve. In this church, halfway down the center aisle, there was a ceiling fan. And when it got really hot, the janitor would turn that ceiling fan on high. And so at the beginning of worship, when the acolytes would walk towards the front of the church holding their candlelighters, when they got to that point halfway down the center aisle, they would have to move so slowly. They would have to move so carefully. Sometimes they would have to shield the flame with their hands to make sure that it didn't go out. God says to God's people, this is how you will recognize my servant. He will care for people the way those acolytes care for their flames. This is the promise that God makes. And then we flip a few pages forward in the Bible and we meet Jesus. And we see that one of the remarkable things about Jesus, maybe the most remarkable thing about Jesus, is just how careful he is with people. And we see that Jesus is especially careful with people who have been hurt by religious institutions. And we see that Jesus is especially tender with people who have been rejected by religious leaders. We see that Jesus notices people's bruises and he refuses to harm them any further. Jesus can tell when somebody's flame is just sputtering and he refuses to blow it out. And so this is the third thing I want you to hear this morning, the third thing I want to say. Churches will let you down. Pastors will let you down. Bishops will let you down. Conferences and denominations will let you down. But Jesus will never let you down. When the church becomes painful, when it becomes too hard to find Jesus in the church, know that he will find you just where you are. And Jesus will see your bruises and he won't hurt you anymore. Jesus will notice that your flame is just barely holding on and he will care for it and tend it until it's burning brightly again. And when we say the words of the Court Street Creed, when we say, I want to be more like Jesus, that's the Jesus I have in mind. I want to be part of a church that sees people's bruises and doesn't hurt them any further. I want to be part of a church that tends people's flames so that they burn brightly again. I want to build that kind of a church. I want to build that kind of church with you. I want to build that kind of a church together. I want to start building it today. Let's pray. God, give us courage. God, give us courage to say things we've never said, to do things we've never done, to embrace people we've never embraced. God, give us courage to confess. Give us courage to repent. Give us courage to believe in forgiveness. God, we pray that you would pour out your healing spirit on all your people, on all your beloved children in this moment, in this place.